Good morning, beautiful people. You all good? Yeah? Okay, I have a question for you. Who likes a great party? Yeah, okay. So what do you consider the best party you've ever been to? And don't tell me alcohol, because I don't want to know about that. All right? That's not a part of a great party. That's often a part of a party that goes sour, isn't it? All right? So what makes a party a great party? Tell me. Great food. Yeah, extraordinary food, special food, food that we go to extra trouble to produce. Yeah, what else? Great Drink. Yeah, that's right. Um, having fruit punches and a lot of other types of good um, drinks is great, yes. Even in Jesus' day, they had a bit of wine, didn't they? But they drank in moderation. They had it to celebrate and they had a little bit of wine, all right? Sometimes we can, not us necessarily, but in New Zealand, people can go overboard drinking alcohol, so we have to be careful about it, but great drink, important to have great drink. What else? Host, an outstanding host, all right? If you've got a person who's very hospitable and who um, really likes throwing parties and they make you feel welcome and they have a lot of entertainment and they've planned it and they've got it all organised, yeah, great host. Anything else about the party that makes it so great? Fellowship, the people, yeah. And the more people, the merrier, yes? All right? Okay, today we're going to talk about having a great party. Last November... Um, my family had a great party to celebrate our mum's 90th birthday. Anyone who ever knew her well was invited and every one of those people, except for four who weren't able to came, come, accepted the invitation. Um, we booked the local beachside hall. We had an abundance of home-baked savoury and um, sweet delicacies because that's what she likes the best. We hired quality glassware and crockery. Um, we bought her a, a huge bunch of beautiful flowers and a magnificent cake. No expense was spared as we honoured and celebrated our mum. On the day, we spent three hours sitting up and decorating the hall and everyone who was invited and had responded positively to the invitation dressed up in their best clothes and uh, best party clothes and came along. We did a This Is Your Life segment. Um, lots of people got to share their most joyful moments um, with my mum. We concluded the presentation with... Uh, we, we concluded the day with a presentation to her, an ode to mum. Um, we also gave her a This Is Your Life album so that she could go back and look at it. And we had a family, a group photo that we gave her. It was the most wonderful event and people are still talking about it when they see me. People who I actually didn't know because they were from my mum's childhood and when she was growing up and a teenager. People that she lives with now in um, the, in, in the um, residential care that she lives in. Um, six months on and I can still say that was a great party. All right, And I'm sure all of you have got a great party in mind. But did you know that it's not only you and I who love parties? God loved parties. All right? He loved festivals, um, any sort of celebration. A wedding was a great opportunity for him to have a long celebration. In the um, Old Testament, we see that when God handed down the law to the people, 
he included in it a number of festivals that he wanted them to go to. Some of those festivals, in fact, many of them, were seven days long. Right? Seven days of getting together, rejoicing, um, singing. I'm sure they would have danced. We heard that David danced when he had a great victory, uh, war victory. So I'm sure they would have um, sang and danced. They would have eaten amazing food and they would have enjoyed one another's companies. In fact, Jesus himself started his own ministry with a great party. He was at a marriage um, celebration, wasn't he? And you know that Jesus, when he comes back again, is going to come back to us at another great party. That's called the great banquet or the um, marriage supper of the Lamb. And we read about that in Revelation chapter 19. So today we're going to consider the greatest party that ever has been planned. A party planned by God, a party planned for you and me, for everyone to attend and to enjoy with him. So he's going to be there at this party. The question is, who, who will be at that party? Um, who will be there on that special day may depend upon a decision that you make this very day. So listen carefully and work out whether you're going to be at that party. I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke, um, chapter 14, verses 15 to 24. I do not have all the scriptures up on the board because it's a long passage. I'm reading from the New International Version and I'm going to read it um, um, to you. So I'm starting at verse 15 of Luke chapter 14. And I'll give all these people with their electronic devices time to get there. I can see. You're my guide, Pastor Paul. So when you stop tapping, I'll know that everyone else might be there. That says that you're the slowest. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, now, starting at verse 15, when one of those at the table with him heard this, one of those at the table with him, Jesus was at a um, dinner with a whole lot of wealthy Jews. We'll hear a bit more about that later. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, telling a parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just brought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just brought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Yet another said, I have just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became very angry and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still more room. Must have been a huge party. He was planning. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be filled. Verse 24, I tell you, not one of these men here at this dinner 
who have, were invited will get a taste of my banquet on that day. Okay? This is a parable. A parable is a Bible story, a little earthly story that we can relate to that actually carries a very big spiritual message. So here Jesus is telling a parable using a story of a party. So already you've told me about the ideal party and what you expect to get in a party. So this story relates to what you're imagining, but it's got a great spiritual message embedded in it. Jesus is telling this story while he's at dinner at a party hosted by a prominent Jew. He's sharing it with other wealthy Jewish guests. He's just heard them arguing about who should get the best seats at the table, and he questions them about their motives. Why do you have to have the best seat? He then goes on to say to them, when you give a banquet, you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. This is um, further up in uh, chapter 14, where we just read. Although they can't repay you, because they are the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So it's in this context that another guest says what we read at the beginning. Blessed is the man who eats at the feast of the kingdom of God. He's referring to the kingdom of heaven, which is is the term used in a corresponding parable found in Matthew 22. And because he made this comment, it prompts Jesus um, to tell the parable. However, to fully understand the parable, we first must know something about a a cultural practice that was in place at that time when Jesus um, made this comment. When a man was planning to give a banquet, he would send out initial or first invitations um, to everyone he planned to have at that banquet. And so these were sent out at least weeks in advance, often months in advance. In fact, for a, a marriage... The invitation was sent out at the time of the betrothal um, of the couple to one another, and that could be up to a year before the event. Um, When the replies were received by the due date, the host then could estimate the quantities of food and drink, um, the sort of entertainment, everything that he needed to plan, and get it organised in terms of harvests and animals and wines, the best vintage, all those things he needed. And it would take up to a year to do that for a wedding. Um, After all the preparations were completed, then the second invitation was sent out to those guests who had responded positively to the first invitation, allowing them sufficient time to dress in their best and to travel to the, um, the banquet. Now, given the great investment that any host would make in such a great... Um, celebration, it's understandable why in this story the host got so very angry. You know, he's he's possibly been planning for this up to a year and now all, it says all, all of his guests have declined the um, invitation to come. Um, Not only was this a social slur upon him, a major social slur, it also had um, cost him a lot of money for what he had already invested in it, all right? So it's understandable he's angry and he wants people to come, for lots of people to come, go into the town and bring everyone, um, 
but go also into the countryside because we've still got spaces to spare and compel them to come because my house is going to be full. But then he finishes off with a final statement. I tell you that not one of these men here, who, not one of these men who have refused to come to my banquet after accepting the invitation will get a taste of this banquet. And, of course, remember he's talking about that great banquet at the marriage feast of the, um, of the Lamb. And we're going to talk a bit more about that. So the Jews at the party would have known and understood what the story was about. And if they weren't hard-hearted, they would have also recognised the spiritual message that was in it. So what was the spiritual message? Let's have a look at some of the players in this um, story. You, I was very impressed by the things that you commented on that made a good party because all of them are included in here. The first one is the host. Who elsewhere in the story we hear called the master. And in fact, in um, Matthew 22, he's referred to as the king. This host represents God the Father. The one who had planned for his people, the Jews, to be with him at the end of this present age when Jesus comes back to earth for a second time. Um, so these were the people for whom God had planned his final great feast and these very same people were the ones who were now declining the invitation. Um, the first invited guests, therefore, were the, the Jews. Um, most of them, all of them had read about this final banquet because the prophets had spoken about them. They had it in their scrolls, had been preached on and talked about. And they were all looking forward to this day when Jesus Christ, Son of God, came to the earth when they could join with him and be a part of this feast. But, of course, when Jesus came, he didn't come as they expected him to come. He didn't come triumphant. He didn't run over the world and annihilate everyone and raise up the, exalt up the Jews, all right? And so they rejected him. They said, this isn't the Jesus we were, this isn't the Son of God we were looking for. And they refused um, to accept that he was indeed who God had ordained he was. And that happened, of course, when Jesus came the first time over a thousand years ago, over two thousand years ago. The second group of invited guests were all the ones who were left over, who weren't part of that first group of Jews. So it included probably all of us, unless some of you come from a Jewish descent and you've made the um, a commitment to Jesus Christ. Uh, as part of your walk with, with God, your God, God the Father. So it's probably all of us. And in the Bible, we're called Gentiles, all right? So Gentiles is everyone here plus everyone out there yet to receive an invitation and to respond to it. It also included, however, all those Jews who didn't fit into the Jewish image of what uh, good um, godly Jews should look like, the Jewish outcasts, the people perhaps who were uh, sick and um, were thrown out of the towns and out into the countryside because um, they were afraid of the diseases that they were carrying. Um, so Jewish outcasts and Gentiles got the second invitation. And the banquet refers, as I said to you, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We see a description of this in Revelations Chapter 19 from verses 6 to 9. I'm just going to read that description to you. 
Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roaring rush of waters, like loud peals of thunder, and they were shouting. Now, he says it was a great multitude, like the sound of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder, and they were shouting. Can you imagine how many people must be in that great multitude coming to this party? Thousands and thousands and thousands and millions and billions of people, right? This is no small party that God's got planned. This is a huge party. What were they shouting? They were saying, hallelujah, 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 for our Lord God Almighty reigns. So let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Now here it's saying that the Lamb has come, talking of Jesus Christ coming back to earth the second time, and he's meeting with his bride, the church, you and I, if you have made, accepted the first invitation and are moving towards accepting the second invitation to meet with Jesus at this great wedding supper of the Lamb. We're the bride and we are white. We're dressed in white linen, bright and clean. That comes, it says it was given to us. That's given to us when we receive Jesus Christ and we say, Jesus, I need you. Come and wash me clean. Cover my sin. We just prayed about that. The grace of God covering our sin, washing us clean and making us righteous um, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he's come and he's come for his bride. We're the bride. We will be joined with the lamb at this feast and there'll be this great celebration. Can you imagine what that's like? Just the number of people blows my mind away and we're going to be a part of it if we accept the invitations. The first one followed by the second one to go to the banquet. Wow. Wow. That is the best news. <laughs> All right. Um, Prophet Isaiah in verses, um, verse, chapter 25, verses 6 to 9, he foretells of this. Let me read what he says. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of drinks. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever, forever. Once and forever, he will swallow it up. It will be finished. No more death. He, the sovereign Lord, will wipe away the the tears from all the faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from the earth. The Lord has spoken. And on that day, all the multitudes that are there meeting with him and having this supper will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Wonderful celebration full of the joy of the Lord, totally overwhelmed and so grateful that we have been saved, that we don't have to fear where we're going to go when our physical bodies die. We know that, that, that spiritually we will not die, that we will live on forever with God in a place, the most perfect place, 
because God's there, it's going to be perfect. We have been perfected in Christ through accepting his invitation. We're going to be there with him and there's going to be no disease. I hit it. No, <laughs> no disease. Um, no disease. There's going to be no tears, no issues at all and we're going to spend all day and all night just worshipping God, partying on forever. Wow. Whew. How wonderful does that sound? It's the most glorious place. It's a great thing to look forward to and to hang on to a hope that we have. All right? Um, we're going to so celebrate the time when God's um, going to swallow up death for all time. Um, all of those who accept the invitation will be crying out to the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise you, God. We're rejoicing and so glad because you saved us and we're here with you. Amen? What a wonderful feast it's going to be. But the question is, will you be at the feast? Because to be at the feast, you have to accept the invitation. The Lord is inviting you to this great banquet. But will you be attending? Maybe you'll be like some of the guests in this parable that Jesus told. Maybe you'll be overwhelmed by excuses. You know, excuses can get you excused. As we saw in the very last verse that I read to you from this parable, Jesus said, none of those who accepted the first invitation but have refused the second one will get to taste the Lord's banquet. All right? So excuses are very dangerous things. You need to be careful about excuses. In Luke 14, 18 to 20, and I've just shortened it a bit, they all alike began to make excuses. There was not one exception. They could be like everyone here who accepted the first invitation saying, I'm sorry, I'm busy. All of them, not just one, all of them refused. One said, I've just brought a field and must go and see it. Another said, I've brought a five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Yet another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. In this parable, we can see that excuses are a major reason for why people won't be at this banquet. These are unlikely reasons. I think I call them lame excuses for why uh, for why they couldn't or wouldn't go to that dinner party. The first man represents those people who are concerned about finances and material things. Right? I can't come because I've just purchased something. You tell me whether or not you would go and purchase a field and not look at it first. Right? It's like purchasing a lifestyle property or purchasing a small farm buying a field. Would you do that without looking at it first? Right? My brother is in the process of selling his home. He's been doing it since November. And um, he's had lots of people come through and lots of people look at it. He's had a handful of people who have come back again and come back again and come back again, some of them four and five times, check out this, to check out that, to check out the other thing before they were willing to make a decision. That's what we do, isn't it? Right? He's actually got somebody now who's quite promising. They have the funds. They really want everything. But do you know what their major concern is? Has this house ever been used in the manufacturing of pea? 
or has anyone in this house ever used pee? I want the house pee tested. All right, times are changing. All right, but none of these people are prepared to buy this house until they've checked it out. So I think that's a pretty lame excuse. The second guy says, I've just bought myself some equipment. My five, uh, yoke of five oxen, all right? Where it was like buying a tractor or buying a harvester, buying a factory. Again, would you buy it without checking it out? I recently bought a ride on mower and it cost a lot of money. And before I purchased it, I needed to have my brother go and check it all out and make sure everything worked and it was going to work on the land and all those things. We had to measure the size of the deck because I have hilly land and if you have too wide a deck, it won't cut at all and you get gaps. All these things that I didn't know about mowers, I had to learn. And then when the man brought it out, I said, you drive it and show me how to do it and you wait until I get on it and I drive it and make sure I know how before I pay for it. And then when I couldn't get something to work properly, I said, come back, come back, I'm not happy. And he came back and he showed me the, uh, after the weekend how to deal with the thing. And then I paid the bill. Yeah? A lame excuse. You know, we get caught up in our business, in our work, in our career, and they become a priority that often can stop us, become an excuse or a reason for why we don't participate in God activities, in pursuing God. The third man says he was preoccupied with family matters. Now, when we look at that on the surface, it seems somewhat legitimate because family is important and family is important to God. After all, we're part of the family of God and we're, you know, God loves us. But, you know, so it comes down to a matter of priorities. There are some things in, in our walk with God that must take priority even over family in some situations. And we need to get that balance right. All right? So these were all lame excuses. Not one of them was legitimate. Jesus had already sent out an invitation. A lot of people had, had, raised, had raised their hands, but we see they're really not walking toward him, walking with him. Um, so he sends out a second invocation. Today, unfortunately, if you've never received the first invitation, today is the day of the first invitation. And for those of you who may have accepted the first invitation, but you're not walking toward Jesus, with Jesus, looking forward to that day when you meet him again, maybe this is the second invitation. So here carefully, all right? Um, you, you can get to go to Jesus' party. The invitation goes out today to every one of you. Do you want to come to the party? He's right now preparing the best party in the history of the world. He's planning and preparing um, the party that's going to end all other parties, literally, it's a feast, a resurrection feast. It's celebrating the conquering of Satan, of uh, sin and death and hell through Jesus' own death, his own burial, his own resurrection. It's a celebration of the marriage of God's bride or those who have accepted the first invitation and have been eagerly awaiting the second invitation. Celebration of um, the marriage of his bride with God's son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Um, will you be there? 
Or is your life so controlled by excuses that you might miss out? Think on that. The invitation from God is exceedingly generous. Unlike all other religions, or so many religions, where you have to meet a whole lot of qualifications, everyone is invited. Everyone's able to receive. Goes out to everyone, those who are healthy, those who are sick, those who are blind, as well as those who can see, those who have means and those who have nothing, the crippled, the poor, the needy, the lame, those who can put on fine clothes to come to a party and those who come next to naked because they are beggars and have nothing. All right. All the races are welcome. Gender's not an issue. Uh, income isn't an issue. Intellect's not an issue. Uh, education isn't a barrier. Everyone's welcome to attend the kingdom party of God, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Anyone who accepts his invitation and then comes to the party is welcome at the party. Those who do accept Jesus' invitation commit the rest of their lives walking toward the party, walking toward Jesus and his kingdom, repenting of their sin, reading their Bibles, um, praying, uh, going to church, fellowshipping with one another, being part of the larger church um, community, faith community. Not that these things are going to get you saved, but they're all part of the movement towards the party. You can't just put up in a moment and say, I accept the invitation, and then say, when the great moment comes to go to that final party, I've done my bit, I've put up my hand. Once you make that one-moment decision to receive Jesus Christ, then begins the rest of the walk of your life, which is walking with Jesus toward the party. It's a lifestyle that we're talking about, but it's a glorious lifestyle. Because you're with people who love one another and care for one another, encourage each other, build each other up, all right? People who don't pull one another down. People who are forever wanting to change and become more Christ-like from glory to glory into the image of Jesus Christ, becoming like him. So that when that second invitation comes, they're right ready. They've got their clean white linen on and they're ready to move into the party. They're dressed for the party. Amen? It's a great life. It's a life in which we continuously look to Jesus, move to Jesus, growing in maturity, growing in obedience, all right, becoming like him. Good life. Jesus has charged us with something to do, however, as we can see in this parable. And that is we are charged to do the inviting of the guests to the party on his behalf. Um, the master said to his servant in verses 21 and 23, go out quickly into the streets and the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And verse 23 says, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. Inside the town would be the beggars, the poor people, the um, homeless, the addicted, the abused, the neglected. Outside the town would be the vagabonds, the um, drifters, the wanderers, the sick and condemned, those who are shunned and unwelcomed in the towns. People with no residential addresses, no regular employment, perhaps people with no one to call family, no place to call home. 
nowhere to call home. Initially, the master instructs his servant to bring them in, but his second command is much more explicit. The Greek word that's used here is anagkaza, and it means to compel or force. So there's a compulsion here, a compelling people to come, an urgent persuasion. And as the person weakens, to urge them, invite them, press into them and to draw them in. Now, obviously, I'm not saying you go out, lasso them, tie them up and drag them in here. All right? That's not what's being said. So if that's not what's being said, what is God actually saying? How can we compel people? How can we force people? All right? How do we bring them in? Now, we know how we can bring them in. We can invite them, yeah? And then we can go and literally pick them up and bring them with us. But how do we compel them? What would compel a person to where they had no choice but to say, yes, I'll come, I'll come, I'll come, all right, in a gracious and loving way? What could we do? You know, um, the master is so insistent upon this that he's actually saying to his servant, don't take no for an answer. Don't take no for an answer. Keep on inviting. Keep on asking. Keep on persuading. Keep on compelling. That's pretty strong, pretty forceful words. All right? We're to seek out and pursue everyone, to eagerly and urgently encourage and um, strongly persuade all we meet to accept this invocation. You see, God doesn't want anyone to miss out on the greatest of all parties. He wants to have and he will have a full house. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you are the servant that Jesus is speaking to in this parable. We have an amazing testimony, a personal story to share with all people. It's an amazing message of ex love and acceptance, of forgiveness, all right? Um, there's an invitation embedded in this story. So our own God-me stories should compel us, should compel us to go out and invite everyone we know and whoever we meet to come and taste and to see that Jesus Christ is good. Because we should be like those people that we've read about in Isaiah and in Revelations who at the great feast can't keep quiet. A thunderous, shouting mass, full of joy, exalting the Lord, cheering and full of gladness because of what happened to us when we accepted the invitation. We should be so overwhelmed by this that people will be compelled to come and get what we want. They'll look at us and say what she's whatever she's on is what I want to be on. Whatever she's got is what I've got. Whatever he has going on in his life, I want that. Amen? Amen. Amen. He says, don't take no for an answer. Scripture tells us that our Heavenly Father, he's lingering, he's waiting for every, each and every seat to be taken up. The end will not come until that occurs. And we catch a hint of this in the uh, letter of Second Peter Chapter 3, verses 11 to 12, where we read, What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to that day of God and as you speed its coming. 
In Matthew 24, we read, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I believe that we speed the coming of the day of the Lord through our witness. Right? Through our testimonies and through our invitations. So let me pose a question to you. What is your God-me story? Right? What is your God-me story? Have you ever tried to tell somebody it? Have you ever written it down? Have you ever practised how to tell somebody in two minutes, in five minutes, in 20 minutes? And what if they accepted the invitation? Do you know what prayer of salvation you would lead them through? Have you ever written it down, practised it, tried it out on someone? If you were able to lead someone to Jesus, what would you say? How would you do it? Where would you do it? What would you need? You can't share your Christian testimony if you don't know what you're going to say. You can't be a witness for Christ without a verbal testimony either. So what are you going to do to master this great expectation that the Lord has placed upon you today? Always placed it upon us, but we're hearing it again today. All right, get prepared. The Lord would like you to be prepared. The second thing we can do, and this is my final challenge to you, is how about throwing a great party yourself? Consider it practice for the kingdom of God, for that great final feast that we'll share with Jesus Christ when he returns. You know that if everyone, every adult in this place did that, we'd have at least 75 parties, great parties, parties with great number of people invited with lots of generous food, lots of great entertainment, 75 parties in Kaitaia and surrounds. Do you think if we had 75 of those great parties in the next year, people would notice? Do you think if we had those great parties, bringing people from the highways and the byways, people we know, people we don't know, family members, neighbours, do you think if you did that, that people would see a little bit of your testimony? Yeah? Is it doable? That is a question. Is it doable? Can you throw a party? You could do this by yourself with your family and your life group. Bring people together and say, okay, we're going to throw a party. What's the menu? What's the theme? Who are we going to invite? That's simple. Somebody's going to start it. Somebody's going to do it. Who could you invite? Jesus says the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind. Neighbours, co-workers, family, friends, people around you, people you don't know well, maybe even strangers you meet at work or on the streets or wherever. Invite some people who don't get invited to parties very often. People who don't get to free parties that are good parties. Will you bring them to the party or will you take the party to them? What venue are you going to use? You could do this in someone's home, in a park, in a restaurant. You could go to the home of a needy person or family and bless them with a feast. Or you could go to a public space, such as the local primary school of the Marae. In the last year, our church, as a church, we have taken um, our parties out to the Marae. We've cooked great food and we've shared it with the people there. 
Um, we've sung songs together. We've prayed for people who have special needs. We've painted kids' faces. We've played games. We've been together. Now, for most of us who went to those parties, we didn't know the people, didn't know anyone. I didn't know anyone when I went the first time. All right? They were all strangers. But we had a great party together. Next month, our church is going to have a multicultural party. We were going to have food from all different um, cultural backgrounds. All right? We're going to dress in national con uh, uh, costumes. We're going, whatever our background is, whatever our um, inheritance is, we're going to have this great party. And, um, and, and as we have this party, we're going to have global um, competitions. We're going to have ethnic entertainment. We're going to have a great time together. And we've asked people to bring another family and to bring other people. Right, just to bring them, bring them along. Compel them to come. Bring them along. So it is possible for us to do this, isn't it? Okay, um, is this the worship team? Yeah, okay. If the worship team wants to come up. Um, my hope, my prayer is that none of you will be like the religious people in this parable, saying, oh, I know I'm going to get there one day. Don't assume anything. Don't presume on the grace of God. Um, the Bible tells us to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not a, just a decision. It's a one-off decision in a moment. It's a decision that involves a whole lifestyle and a lifetime that we're talking about here. Um, I want to talk to the people who may never have had a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've heard about the great party. You've heard about a great God. You've heard about what God has in store for us. I want to ask you, are you interested in taking up the invitation today? Jesus is saying to you, would you come to me? Would you come and give your, um, your, yourself to me that I might come and walk with you and help you? Are you willing to say, yeah, I'm living my own life, but I'm not doing it really well. I need some extra help. But above all else, I need to have a God like the God I've been hearing about in control of my life. Now, if that's you today, God is saying, I'm here through Pam, I'm holding out my hand and I'm saying, will you come? Recognize that when you say yes, I will accept that invitation. You're also saying, Jesus, I'm going to walk with you because I want to get to that great party at the end of all time. Amen. Is there, uh, in a minute, I'll give you an opportunity to indicate if you would like to receive. But I'm also talking to people who perhaps have been there and like the um, Jews have said, oh, I'm too busy. I can't keep coming to church. I can't be a part of all of this. I've made a commitment once. So when we get to the end, I'll be okay. We've heard today that that's not true. You know, we call um, the Bible in a parable talks about you being a prodigal a son who turned away from family values, life's important things, the way your family or your church would do it, and gone your own way. But maybe you've got to a place where you've decided, I'm not getting anywhere fast here. I need to go back and recommit to my life to the Lord. The invitation goes out to you. Will you come? Jesus says, will you come? To those of you um, who know you've made accepted the first invitation and you're actively working towards the second one, you might like to have prayer today 
that, um, that in regards to being a witness, for telling your testimony for Christ. You might want a prayer um, to get to talk to God and say to God, God, I'd love to prepare the way by having a party and inviting someone. If you would like prayer for that, then we will pray for you as well. Will you all stand up, please?